And good afternoon. It's 4 o'clock. Thanks for tuning in to CFRC 101.9 FM. We are located here in Lower Crothers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce, and uh, this is Finding a Voice, spoken word programming here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. And we do stream live online as well at www.cfrc.ca. In the first hour, from a February 6th book launch, or I shouldn't say book launch, it was a bookstore reading event uh, featuring uh, Ottawa Poets at Novel Idea Bookstore. You'll hear readings by Jean Van Loon, Steve Heighton, and Deanna Young. In the second hour, continuing this week with more from the January 8th and and the Journey Continues open mic uh, reading event, uh, you'll hear readings by Devin G.A., Bob McKenzie, Will Hildebrandt, Ken Chin, Jill Glatt, and Graham, Grace Dixon, Jason Hero, and Quentin Kerr. And uh, this first, though, just the usual hourly announcement. Occasionally, some poetry, spoken word, or music played on this show may contain strong language, but it's all played in its entirety uh, to honor the creative integrity of both the author and the piece. I should have a bit of time to share upcoming calls and events. I think uh, just a few minutes at the end of each hour today. So I will definitely do that. So... uh, Let's go ahead and move into that February 6th uh, bookstore reading event uh, featuring Ottawa poets. Up first in it, here is Jean Van Loon. Well, welcome, everybody. This is kind of a really nice turnout for such a crummy day out there. So give yourselves a hand for coming out. So thank you for that. And also, let's give Oscar and Joanna a hand as well for this beautiful space, all the food and everything. Thank you. Well, first of three Ottawa authors and poets up tonight is... uh, Ottawa writer uh, Jean Van Loon has published short prose, poetry, and reviews in Canadian literary magazines across the country and in Journey Prize Stories 19. Her first poetry collection, Building on River, published by Cormorant Books in 2018, evokes the life of J.R. Booth, eccentric lumber king of the Ottawa Valley. Her grandfather, mother, and husband are graduates of Queen's, as she is herself, let's bring up Jean Van Loon. I think I'll stand so yeah. I can see people. <laughs> um, as Bruce mentioned, the, the poems tell a story of a, an individual's life. And uh, this was a man who uh, was born in what we know as the Eastern Townships today, but it was Lower Canada then and uh, came to Bytown as a young man and had nothing with him when he came, not even his father's blessing, and made a fortune. And at one time had the largest sawmill in the world working at the Chaudière Falls in Ottawa. And despite that, and being a multimillionaire, he dressed in worn workman's clothing and went to the mill and did manual labor with this man, which endeared him to me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, 
So I'm going to write, read a couple of poems from early in his life. The first one is from when he first left the farm to go and work as a carpenter building the Central Vermont Railway, building the trestles. The poem is in two voices, J.R. himself, and a young woman named Rosalinda. Mm -hmm. Strange stirrings in St. Armand. The inn was where I'd been told, and as I'd been told, respectable. Meals, a clean bed, stabling for the stages four in hand. All I could ask, halfway there, close to the border. Inside, dark, crackle of wood fire, tang of baking bread, smells from my mother's stove. One of the railway men stopping on visits home and back, sat with the others to eat my mutton and dumplings. When he spoke, men listened, laughed. His tipple was tea. When the drinkers grew loud and foolish, he lit a candle, retired to his rest, with a nod to me, like a gentleman, up before dawn, like me. I asked about the girl who served the dinner and baked the bread. No girl, they said. She's a spinster gone twenty. Not for a lad like you. Her face opened like dawn when she looked at me. She was solid as maple, moved like a wisp of fog. Rosalinda, honey on my tongue. A well-made man, with a stout head of hair, could have done with a man to his sleeve. Once he left a tip too large by half, for the view, he said when I told him, a teasing crease at the edge of his eyes, blush flushed to the tips of my toes, soft lips, supple, at least so they looked. He could have smiled if he wished from here to Montreal. I chose a chair that faced the kitchen door. Each time she pushed out with a dish, I saw her first. When she gathered the empty plates, apron strings fingered her hips. He asked where a man might buy a gift for his mother. Leather gloves, perhaps, a bar of fine-milled soap. I lied and said I'd have to walk him there. Try the gloves for size, he said. If they don't fit you, they won't do. The soap smelled of lavender. I smelled it as hard as I could all the way home. Beside him, step by step. How could I have tricked an honest man? At the inn I confessed. My mother's long dead, he said. The soap's for you. <laughs> I lingered till the last of the lads had staggered to his cot. My work is done come spring, I told her. She dried the last flagon again. I dragged my gaze from her bosom to the fire. I'll miss your dumplings, I said, breathing deep, unless you come with me. She folded the trembling towel. So the two got married <laughs> and made their way to Bytown, uh, where he worked for other people for a while and then went into business for himself. And his first big opportunity came when 
the Upper Canada and Lower Canada formed Canada, and there was a brand new capital called Ottawa, and a request for proposal went out to supply lumber to build Parliament buildings. Penny's Count. Outside the darkened street, not far from the escarpment soon to be Parliament Hill, mine the single bright window, kerosene flame at my desk. Columns of calculations march my page. Three government buildings. Years of steady money ride on this tender and my name. I'll scrap the tradition of oxen, save with horses. Bring in idle longshoremen from Montreal. Benny's p- bellies pinched and, strike- and gnawing from months on strike. Rosalinda quilled like a porcupine when I said I would bid. They'll give it to one of their own, she said. What if horses prove they can't draw the weight? I allow myself to imagine. Well-barbered faces fall. The brimming cup of fortune snatched by an upstart. Where will you get the capital, asked Rosalinda. Where will you find the trees? All I'll need is the contract. Bankers will joust for my custom. Woodlot owners will slaver. She stands in the doorway now, a flow of white flannel. It's past three, she says. You've only two hours to sleep. Swaying folds, softness underneath. I blow the room dark. Next poem is in the voice of the fellows who went up into the forest to cut the trees down. Working the Limit. Black spruce, balsam, prime white pine. A harvest waits. Stinging day in a span of bays, we sledge the snows of the swampers' trail, broad axe, canthook, jammer rope. Prize trunks crash, tops lopped, sides hewn, we strew the slash. Tops lopped, sides hewn, prize trunks crash. Broad axe, canthook, jammer rope. We sledge the snows of the swampers' trail, stinging day in a span of bays, a harvest waits. Black spruce, balsam, prime white pine. Later on in his life, when the, the mill was thriving, he allowed himself to get into the railway business, which was a really hot story in those days. A lot of people wanted to get in on it. It was the, it was the high-tech industry of its day. Mm-hmm. And lots of people lost their shirts, like Robert from Downton Abbey, who invested <laughs> in the Canadian <laughs> Grand Trunk. Uh, but Booth resisted until he really felt he needed it for his his lumber business and he started off by building a railway from northern U.S. crossed by Montreal and up to Ottawa. He had bought a couple of railway charters from other people who couldn't raise the financing and part of the deal was he would get um, a bounty or um, 
funds from the from the federal government to help pay for the bridge. However, it wasn't forthcoming until Sir John A. needed his help in a by-election. J.R. Bridges the Gap, Federal By-Election, 1887. Sir John A. stands in Renfrew dust, surrounded by lusty woodsmen who want to meet old tomorrow. He asked me to join his campaign here, my forest near, my chance for his ear. I tell him I don't see his problem, the government bounty part of my railway charter. I merely the man who at last delivered the span across the St. Lawrence. He shakes the hand of a rough and ruddy supporter. Ferguson needs to win, he tells me, clasps his hands behind him, bends to attend a petitioner. Good man, I say, runs my business for all this zone. His fingers rub a thumb. My support flows forth in words from campaign platforms, streams as paper money hand to hand, floats Ferguson to victory. Political partner Pearlie arrives early at my office door. The bounty is ours. Um, the next part of the railway he built uh, went from Ottawa to Georgian Bay. So and totally wound up with 250 miles of privately owned railway, the largest privately owned railway in North America. But being the man he was, he got into a horse and he went a wagon with horses and traveled up west of Ottawa, personally negotiating right-of-ways. <laughs> Making tracks to Georgian Bay I slow the span of blue roans, corduroy at the farm lane's swampy mouth. Harness clinks, rattling wagon. On the road, as when I left my father's farm to muscle trestles for the central Vermont. A horse lifts its tail. A golden thud lands in the dirt. A pleasant smell soon lost in the fragrance of woodlot, ripening hay. The rutted lane opens. I could be back in Shefford. Meager clearing wrenched from forest. A farmhouse that leaks ragged children. My muscles, stiff from sitting, ache for the strains of the farmer who trudges from a stubborn stump, rough sleeve blotting his reddened brow. Might I give you a hand, I ask. Job done. The two of us rest at the kitchen table. Tea, bread, with butter for a guest, patched pot on the stove. I need a right-of-way, I tell him. I pay cash. Two more farms along the road, then a bed at the stopping place. Tomorrow on to the next. Barking dog, house weathered dark, enclosing what bruises, what fractured dreams. Cash is a salve. I'll wind up from with a poem from When He Is Rich and Famous. It uh, takes place in 1901 when royalty came to visit Ottawa and the city was all agog. 
uh, was royalty in the person of the Duchess of the Duke and Duchess of Cornwall and York, who were later King George V and Queen Mary. And the, it was part of a tour to thank the colonies for their support in the Boer War. In which the Duchess of Cornwall and York entertains doubts about a ride on the timber slide and survives the trip accompanied by J.R. Booth. First, a word from a publication called Picturesque Canada. Amongst the experiences which the city offers to its visitors is the descent of the slides, whereby the hardships of the lumberman's life become, for a few exciting moments, the attractive sport of venturesome seekers of strange thrills. <laughs> what, I wonder aloud, should royalty wear for a trip down a restless river on a conveyance called a crib? It's easy for men. The Duke will slip into a simple checked suit with a black silk tie and a derby. His parents swear it was amusing. Where on a crib does one plant the royal standard? Is a pork and bean luncheon in a woodsman's shanty an occasion one should anticipate with pleasure? Think of it as a picnic, your highness, says my lady-in-waiting. I would wish on such an occasion to do without stays. No, ma'am, she says, tough hands tightening bone on bone, not with a waste the envy of all. Even this, in this wild land, ma'am, the ladies vie for your style. White would have photographed well. Pity we're in half mourning. Back again to picturesque Canada. The descent is made at a pace which, with the ever-present possibility of a breakup, gives a very respectable sense of excitement to a novice. For a quarter of a mile appears a narrow channel down which a shallow stream of water is constantly rushing, with here and there a drop of some five or eight feet. The ladies gather up their garments. At a bigger drop, the water surges up through our timbers, and a shower of spray falls about it, uh, about us. A delicate oh from the ladies. <coughs> I hate to depart from the royal trolley crafted in Ottawa shops and named after me. Polished oak walls, ceiling veneered in bird's eye maple. Such curtains. Carpet of royal blue, electric lamps. But there is the windy river, and the Countess Minto insists. Our craft, a crude platform, small parlor size. On this, our party must descend the slide? Not even sides, only a dais to keep us above the water. My seat of honor, a wicker chair. Oh, this day's pinch when I sit. My skirts spill round, condemned to drench. A shorter hem would have served. Booth points out a heron, stock still on shoreline rock, long legs and beak, feathers draped like ermine. The odd little white beard, unrefined of tongue and coat, is our host. Everyone's favorite rough-hewn millionaire, whispers my husband's aide-de-camp. Pushed off from shore, we float at a hastening pace toward the chute. I raise my gaze to the timber gates, clutch my chair as the oarsmen wield their sweeps, and over the edge we sway, 
Down the incline, the logs, the men, crowds alongside. We race through sudden spray, our host unfazed. Hats wave, booths, blue eyes blaze. This is what matters. The splash, the speed, the dip, the bounce to calm. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you all for slogging out tonight. <laughs> thank you, Bruce, and thank you, Joanna and Oscar. Let's give Jean Vanlund another hand, please. And you just heard Jean Van Loon from a February 6th uh, bookstore reading event uh, featuring Ottawa poets at Novel Idea Bookstore. And uh, that was the night of that, I believe. Well, that was bad weather, so that was uh, what you caught in the mention of that. Uh, but uh, a, lot, a lot of things shut down in the city that day, but uh, this went on, and the two, two of the three Ottawa poets uh, had already... Had already the, their transportation was already planned and booked and a stay here overnight and so the reading went on and so up next what you'll hear though is one of the poets was unable to attend uh, Jenny Hasem and uh, so what you're going to hear is Steve Hyten reading a poem uh, from uh, one of her works that evening so here we go. Well, up next, there would have been uh, Jenny Hasem, but she could not make it tonight. And I will say that reading for her will be Stephen Hyten, so I will read Jenny's bio, and Steve will come up. Jenny Hasem's writing has appeared in a variety of magazines as well as in chapbook form, Blinding Afternoons, Anstruther Press, uh, 2017, Dividing the Wayside, Palimpsest Press, 2018, and her debut co uh, poetry collection. Uh, she uh, has worked for independent publishers, the Ottawa Public Library, and is the former prose, po prose editor for ARC Poetry Magazine. She lives with her family in Ottawa. Reading for her tonight, Stephen Hyten. Is this how you do this? <laughs> you have to have one thing in your hand? <laughs> we'll find out. Um, okay, so the reason I'm reading for Jenny, I wrote a blurb for the back of the book. Um, I, don't, I don't usually do it these days, mainly because I don't think blurbs are, are useful, right? There's so many blurbs out there, and we've heard it all, and I just, I just want to read the book. I don't want to hear what maybe someone's friend said about their book. Um, so I don't think they're very useful. And I, I'm not crazy about doing them, but I did it for her because I've been reading her poems for about 25 years, and I've seen her develop over that time. And she was good right from the beginning. One of the amazing things about her, though, was that she was never um, in any rush to publish a first book. And I remember, I don't know when her first poems, publishable poems, appeared, maybe when she was 23 or 24. Uh, I was about the same age when I wrote the first poems that were okay. Uh, and I wanted a book right away. Um, probably too soon and she was very patient and I really admire that and finally after I don't know about 25 years here is the book um, so what I said was Jenny Hasem's ear is maturely attuned her craft deftly managed her poems loaded with wry remarkable metaphors illusions 
homages, puns, eclectic observations, and moments of delicate feeling. Dividing the Wayside is a seasoned and exceptional debut. And that was almost impossible to read. They obviously didn't like the blur very much because it's absolutely tiny. <laughs> it's um, so I'm going to read one poem. She suggested four different poems that I could choose from. I decided to do this one, uh, and it's called The Minister of Loneliness. The Minister of Loneliness has no ministry, just an office and a phone. She sleeps diagonally on cool sheets, her blinds raised to the moon. Mornings, the minister forsakes alarms and wakes to the low coo of pigeons shuffling in the sun. She takes breakfast on the go, espresso and a raisin bun. How she hates raisins, picks them out one by one, drops them on the pavement where people step on them. The walk to work is her favorite time of day, when solitariness seems the perfect state. Swept air, emptied streets, just the way the janitor left them, and the odd person going about his business independently. She strides purposely over bridges, past the padlocked sweethearts without a pause or pang, swinging her empty portfolio, planning a February getaway to some distant archipelago. It's only when she arrives at her prospects dim, the grim little office, the thought of yet another day with a hole puncher. (laughs) Don't despair, says a yellow post-it note affixed to the window facing the parking lot. Once an attendant practiced his cello there in a narrow booth. Now you slot your chit in an automated wicket and the arm lifts by itself. At least the queen of loneliness has a kingdom. Someone joked and called her swivel chair the throne of isolation. For hours on end she swivels there, painting her nails blue or black or that (coughs) minty shade, tristesse. Loneliness only crosses her mind or desk by way of dockets and memos, as long anonymous letters from her multitudinous constituents that can't be answered. After all, she has no staff, no ministry. If misery loves company, she has no love. Um, And just uh, one thing I I meant to say before I started is, um, yeah, it's so great uh, that Kingston can produce an audience. Well, Kingston can produce weather like this on a regular basis, but can also produce an audience like this tonight. And uh, I I know you two made a real effort to get here. It was probably really hard. And so... Uh, I'm glad there was an audience here to meet you. Uh, thanks to Oscar and Joanna, as usual, mm-hmm. and to Bruce for uh, making all this happen over and over again. So. Thank you, Stephen. And uh, how about if we applaud the reading and the poetry at the same time? <laughs> And you just heard Stephen Hyten uh, reading from the work of the one Ottawa poet unable to attend that evening, and that was Jenny Hasem at uh, the February 6th bookstore reading event uh, held at Novel Idea Bookstore that was honoring uh, Ottawa poets who were coming in for it. Up next, then, you'll hear the final uh, poet that evening. Here is Deanna Young.
And the final reader tonight, Deanna Young, is the author of four books of poetry, uh, <coughs> including Reunion, 2018, and House Dreams, 2014, which was nominated for the Trillium Book Award for Poetry, the Ottawa Book Award, the Archibald Lampman Award, and the Relit Award. Uh, I kind of highlighted. I didn't emphasize that, right? The Relit Award. How's that? <laughs> Born in the Village, is it Lucan? Lucan. Lucan. I'm not, too, I'm not scoring well here. Born in the Village of Lucan in southwestern Ontario, she now lives in Ottawa, where she works as an editor and teaches poetry privately. Let's bring up Deanna Young. Thank you very much. Um, I'm going to reiterate all of those thank yous to mm -hmm. Bruce for um, going above and beyond to organize this event <laughs> and to Oscar and Joanna. Thank you. You have a beautiful place here. Mm -hmm. Thanks to everyone for coming out because Jean and I thought we might be reading to ourselves, <laughs> which we were okay with, but um, this is even nicer. Um, I'm going to read primarily from my new book, Reunion, but for some reason I got a bit nostalgic uh, and thought I would read a poem from a couple of my previous books just because it's been a, a long time. And I don't know, there's something about sort of embracing that past mm -hmm. self. So this book, Drunkard's Path, is from 2001. And I just pulled it off the bookshelf. I'm going to read, I'll pick a poem from here to start off. Even though it's uh, winter and nasty weather out there, this is a summer poem. This is called The Yard. I took off the top of my bathing suit because I was alone in the glittering yard behind my house. The air was a thousand patient tongues taking turns at the salt of my breasts. The voices of birds were yellow confetti. And each time a car flew over the road out front, my heart bumped loudly and I gathered my arms to me. There was no stranger. No stranger stepped from the wild rose tangle, his forearms brown from the field and scratched and ruby beaded. I had come to the yard alone, unhooked the top of my bathing suit and lifted it off and laid it in the grass beside me because I expected no one and no one came. <laughs> Um, in t 2014, uh, my book House Dreams came out, and uh, what did, poem did I choose? Um, yeah, this one is, uh, is called Clothed in Darkness. It's also strangely about being alone in nature. I'm, you know, we <laughs> discover things when you revisit your work. <laughs> it starts with, so Clothed in Darkness, it starts with a, a little, um, And I'm sorry about that. We had some sort of technical glitch here. Let me see if I can get this back up and running. And I may just, uh, for the sake of it, I will think I'll just start uh, Deanna's uh, reading back over again. And uh, my apologies. We just system just backed out of the whole program so we'll get it back up and running here and as soon as i can get the file loaded up so 
Let's try this and see if it likes it better this time. Here we go again. Here is uh, uh, Deanna Young at uh, the February 6th uh, bookstore reading event. Enjoy. And the final reader tonight, Deanna Young, is the author of four books of poetry, uh, <coughs> including Reunion, 2018, and House Dreams, 2014, which was nominated for the Trillium Book Award for Poetry, the Ottawa Book Award, the Archibald Lampman Award, and the Relit Award. Uh, I kind of highlighted. I didn't emphasize that, right? The Relit Award. How's that? <laughs> Born in the Village, is it Lucan? Lucan. Lucan. I'm not, dude, I'm not scoring well here. Born in the Village of Lucan in southwestern Ontario, she now lives in Ottawa, where she works as an editor and teaches poetry privately. Let's bring up Deanna Young. Thank you very much. Um, I'm going to reiterate all of those thank yous to mm -hmm. Bruce for um, going above and beyond to organize this event <laughs> and to Oscar and Joanna. Thank you. You have a beautiful place here. Mm -hmm. Thanks to everyone for coming out because Jean and I thought we might be reading to ourselves, <laughs> which we were okay with, but um, this is even nicer. Um, I'm going to read primarily from my new book, Reunion, but for some reason I got a bit nostalgic uh, and thought I would read a poem from a couple of my previous books just because it's been a, a long time. And I don't know, there was something about sort of embracing that past mm -hmm. self. So this book, Drunkard's Path, is from 2001. And I just pulled it off the bookshelf. I'm going to read, I'll pick a poem from here to start off. Even though it's uh, winter and nasty weather out there, this is a summer poem. This is called The Yard. I took off the top of my bathing suit because I was alone in the glittering yard behind my house. The air was a thousand patient tongues taking turns at the salt of my breasts. The voices of birds were yellow confetti. And each time a car flew over the road out front, my heart bumped loudly and I gathered my arms to me. There was no stranger. No stranger stepped from the wild rose tangle, his forearms brown from the field and scratched and ruby beaded. I had come to the yard alone, unhooked the top of my bathing suit and lifted it off and laid it in the grass beside me because I expected no one and no one came. <laughs> Um, in 2014, uh, my book House Dreams came out, and uh, what did, poem did I choose? Um, yeah, this one is, uh, is called Clothed in Darkness. It's also strangely about being alone in nature. I'm, you know, you <laughs> discover things when you revisit your work. <laughs> It starts with, so clothed in darkness, it starts with a, a little um, quote from Richard Wilbur from a poem. The warping night air having brought the boom of an owl's voice into her darkened room. Who cooks for you? And then, who cooks for you? The sound the owl makes, apparently. 
That summer, you'd wake early in the belief that something waited out there for you. The dogs eager circling as you pulled on dusty jeans from the floor and crept downstairs. The door's complicit click as it shut. Sky pink along the horizon. You'd cut across the field toward the neighbor's wooded lot. And there they were one morning. Uh, sorry, uh, he opening the coop to let the hens roam the ditches, unlatching the gate to new pasture for the sheep, and she naked to the waist. Her white arms slack from the shoulder, head fallen back to receive the sun's bloom across her chest. You looked severely away, but continued hard toward the bush, still clothed in darkness dog charging ahead along the slight path you'd worn together since the start of spring, the new routine. Your rubber boots glossed with dew, grass shards sticking as you waded through the fog's low boil. In the chill woods, a schoolyard chatter of birds unseen. And from the rafters of a spruce somewhere near the center, a barred owl called out his bold offer to cook for you. <laughs> the brown eyes of a bearded man seen once in a restaurant window. To find him again, and for him to see you. Day coming on fast now, the dam broken, light plunging through the ragged canopy, shimmering limit of that other world you lived in those mornings unmissed and alone, not far from home. Mm -hmm. Those both naked women without tops on. Yes, know what's going on. Mm -hmm. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, so Reunion revisits. Um, uh, in my bio, Bruce mentioned I, I grew up in Lucan, Ontario, which is in southwestern Ontario, a little village. And it is a bit infamous. Has anyone heard of the Black Donnellys? Yeah. yeah so uh, maybe I'll read that poem. So uh, that uh, family, that ca uh, Catholic family, uh, that was ma there was a massacre back in around 1880. I think it happened. So Walt Whitman time, but this is in uh, southwestern Ontario. And anyway, I won't get into that whole story, but. Um, uh, I grew up in that village, and uh, I happened. Uh, my parents happened to be friends with a family, with a couple who owned the Donnelly property in the uh, 1970s. So I actually spent time um, at the Donnelly property, uh, even though there was a, a foundation for the original house that had been torched and burnt in the massacre. But then they, uh, their house was actually on the uh, um, a foundation that had been rebuilt, and they built around it. But it was still a place full of ghosts. Mm -hmm. Very scary. I woke up with that song in my head this morning. Really? First thing this morning. That's so strange. I haven't thought of it. You know, the tone. Absolutely. Stomped. I have to read that poem the then. Yeah. Okay. Got, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm going to start with that so I don't forget because I don't <laughs> think I had it bookmarked. But, um, okay, so I have a poem. Where is it? Oh, I actually call it... Um, Whips and Scorns, which is a Hamlet reference. Um, anyway, this book revisits my childhood um, in Lucan and, and sort of in the 70s and uh, maybe getting into the early 80s. 
Um, and it's sort of, um, there's a, it's full of ghosts. And then it goes back and forth between that time and, and a more present time um, of my, my sort of my contemporary persona. And, and there's this back and forth. But this is uh, back in the 70s in uh, Lucan, and this is called Whips and Scorns. So here is Bob Norton, my father's friend, and here the belt that whips the children. I back up when he slips it out of his waistband and takes a shot at his own hand to see if it's working. He bought the Donnelly place in 74, but not, as he'll tell you, the bull. When that clown, Stompin' Tom, came around with a crew, Bob grabbed the 22 and told them, this ain't no circus, get off my land. We all should have heard him. Young Robbie's at the barn right now tormenting kittens. Bob and the missus don't know where he gets it, the mean streak. When the charge from the fence jumps right through the cat and snaps its teeth at Robbie instead, Bob howls, that'll serve ya. We all like Bob then, kinda. Despite the belt and everything else, I sometimes think I prefer him to my own father. Then again, better go with the devil you know. Anyway, Tracy is nice. Her stomach is flatter than mine, her hair longer, and one day she'll marry a rich businessman. Nights I stay over, she likes to compare vaginas. <laughs> Want to see mine? Okay, not really. <laughs> but is quickly distracted by ghosts. Dead Donnelly's moan inside the wall are bed touches. They are trapped in this mortal coil, and so are we. <laughs> um, near the beginning of the book is this poem. It's called Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. D would you like to sit down, ladies? Mm -hmm. Please come in. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Welcome, and thank you for coming out to the front seats. <laughs> oh. oh. This is Holy Ghost. We had no paper then, or we had no pen, or no words. How to say it? We had no voice, no listeners. Just deaf night, and the flames that chased us up the stairs that found us panting, singed. There was no story then, no greater myth. It was just our life. No big picture, no art but the Bible, no thought but that the Lord must have made some mistake, our souls in error. We went into the closet willingly. It was a game, as into a time machine, more in hope than faith. In there saw only starless space. We prayed. When I open this door, let it be some other place. There was music, though, astounding. It flowed from the stereo and filled the house like Jesus. It was Aretha in raiment of gold and Elvis the king. It flew into us like grace and shook our spirits loose. We fell to the floor like change, all scattered silver. There gathered ourselves, 
into swords of light. There rose and followed the tambourines into the shimmering forest mind where we could think. We walked among the years like trees and trembling came to a sky-filled river, stepped into its rush like deer to drink cold wonder pulling at our legs. We gave ourselves up for lost, raised our arms like thieves. Sun lit the blood of our fingertips. Field sparrows sang our names. And thus, in rapture, were we saved. John, where are you going? Sorry, this is the Ballad of the Central Hotel. John, where are you going? I'm going to hell. Why don't you join me? It's warmer down there. <laughs> John, what will you do there? I'll drink till I'm hammered, then drink till I'm plastered and fall down the stairs. The waitresses know me. The boys will be waiting. Jim Curry, Bill Hodgins, Bob Norton, John Kane. Hell, the whole volunteer fire brigade. Brigade. The whole friggin' fire brigade. But you're banned from the station, kicked out of the Masons, you're out of a job and haven't been paid. Shut your face, useless woman. Like I said, you're insane. Think I'll call up the pigs to come cart you away. The kids will be farmed out and treated like slaves, and your dear dead dad will turn black in his grave. Oh, your dad'll go soft in his grave. His grave, the sucker'll rot in his grave. John, what will I do here without any car? Damned if I know, bitch, and damned if I care. I'll be down at the Central and don't come and get me. You can rag all you want. I'll be home when I'm ready. I'll be drinking the mortgage and drinking the groceries. By supper, by Christ, I'll be down on all fours like a hound. I'll be well on my way, my way. By then, I'll be feeling the flames. Supper prayer. I should mention that there are some churchy tones in this in this book, and this is one of the poems that has that um, supper prayer. And here is the wallpaper that holds our gaze at supper and our thoughts in their place, lest these too be corrupted by what has happened to us during the day. The same sparrow resting there and there among the sprouting branches. And here, a welcome plate of food, dear Lord, our sustenance and distraction, again to keep away the grumblings of despair that might otherwise fill our mouths, that none would pierce the gentle evening with a forked tongue. And here, Lord, spoken around the table, the names, be they blessed or damned, of parents and their parents, cousins near and distant, of those they've married and of our neighbors, and of the blameless children sprouting like beans in the garden. For it is in the names and in the naming, Lord, in the myths and buried deeds that we shall find the saved seeds of ourselves and of our sorrow, and not solely in thee. Though the truth arrive on its horse in time, and without invitation. Um, let's see. Nancy. A shame we hardly knew her. 
She had a pretty face. My uncle wed, then slew her. White-throated sparrows pled her case. Her soul left through a keyhole. Her body left a stain. Now here is time. Come to take away her name. Uh, this is recrimination. I stand here this April morning, dear citizens of Bidolf, and swear this truth. The cries that ran through that house were unholy. The clamor you heard and harm you suspected, the marks on the arms of my mother, your call to action. And yet you stood by. You closed your drapes and extinguished your lamps. In the morning, mist hung in the air as it does here today, a lamentation risen from the lawn. And was your blood so chilled that thoughts of the children dwelling in that yellow house on George Street could not unstop the fair accusations in your throats? Could not one of you have gone to him and said, John, this is wrong? Were you not duty-bound to knock at the door of that madness? I am looking at all of you here today, a blanket of light draped over us at this crossroads, the sun still rising. Go home with these thoughts in your minds, and blessings be eternal on any of you who did step forward then, the righteous. Though I did not know you, I am here by your kindness, in the name of the mother, the daughters, and the small black dog. Mm -hmm. um, I'll read a, a short little verse and then a final poem. And I just want to say what an honor it is to be reading here with Jean and to hear Jenny's work. Um, these are two Ottawa poets and Canadian poets that I admire, admire really deeply. And so thanks for your work. Um, the Holy Bottle. Does anyone know a little poem that maybe you heard in the olden days about uh, old Dan Tucker? was a mean old man. Mm. Well, this is, I, my grandmother used to say that to me, and here's a little riff I did on it. This is called The Holy Bottle. Young John Young was a mean old dad. He sucked raw eggs and his feet smelled bad. <laughs> he kissed the bottle and he cussed his wife and never said boo when he wrecked our life. And this final poem is more in my, the contemporary voice coming out of that past place to now, and it's called Lamb. The voices were small, insistent, and if infinitely patient in the years following Rilke's abrupt instruction, you must change your life. I did not want to disrupt my life. I called in sick. I washed the dishes scattered across the countertop like bewildered migrants. I wiped the countertop and stood back. I went into the basement and took a piece of lamb, the flesh of an animal that had been born for slaughter, a portion of its body wrapped in brown paper and held for months in a freezer. I took it with a vow to make soup. 
his words at my heels as usual. For here there is no place that does not see you. Cradling the package, I ascended the wooden steps and left it to thaw on the clean countertop. In the living room, I picked up a book. Not Rilke this time, but one of the others wandering in that camp of hallowed spirits and flopped down on the couch. The first poem said, change your life in its way. The second said, change your life, and so on. To leave the lover and still have him. To leave the children and still be their mother daily. The answer did not come. It would not come forth willingly, I saw. Like a wild horse or beaten dog, it would not step forward until I showed it my empty hands. First, I would have to drop what was in my hands. Then only if I stood absolutely still and offered my palm slowly to its wet nose, might it incline its head. I thought of the lamb, in its death still something, its power over me, how sacred my duty. As I lay there on the couch, I bargained feebly, weighing each thing I thought I loved against the ache. Mm. Thank you very much. Goes Deanna Young. Let's give her another hand. We've heard some wonderful poetry tonight, too. Let's just give the whole group of them mm -hmm. a hand as well. <laughs> Thank you. And my thanks again to all of you for coming out. And one more thanks to Oscar and Diana. And uh, <laughs> Joanna, yeah. And uh, there's still plenty of food and drink left. Uh, the authors are here, uh, and uh, books are up there. So <laughs> feel free to chat and hang around a bit. It's warmer in here than it is outside. <laughs> <laughs> And you just heard uh, Deanna Young uh, from a February 6th bookstore reading event featuring Ottawa poets at Novel Idea Bookstore. And I know Joanna very well. I don't know why I said what I said, but anyway, that's what I meant. So anyway, uh, in the uh, concluding remarks. So let's just do this and I'll be right back. Friday evenings at 6 p.m. here on CFRC, listen to Saltwater Music, a show covering all musical genres from the East Coast of Canada. Celtic, of course, but also rock, jazz, blues, folk, and a lot more. I'm your host, Rob Carnell. Tune in to Saltwater Music Friday evening from 6 to 8 here on CFRC 101.9 FM. Or you can catch us on the web at www.cfrc.ca. And for our listeners out east, that's 7 p.m. Atlantic and 7.30 Newfoundland. Hey, 
Since 1922, CFRC Radio has been the campus and community radio station for Queens and Kingston, Ontario. CFRC is both listener-supported and listener-created radio, bringing both music and spoken word content to our community on 101.9 FM and around the world on cfrc.ca. Support locally created media. Learn more at cfrc.ca. Folk everything. Every Saturday morning from 10 till noon on CFRC. Traditional folk, modern folk, future folk, and strange deviations from the norm. Hear the legacy of folk music and discover new favorites and forgotten classics on Folk Everything. Join me every Saturday morning at 10 for a romp through folk culture here on CFRC. Says Red to James, that's a fine motorbike. Walk Home is one of the services provided to you by the Alma Mater Society at Queen's University. Walk Home is a completely confidential and anonymous service where students will pick you up and walk you to any location within our extensive boundaries. We are located in the Lower Cayley of the John Deutsch University Centre. You can request a walk by dropping by the kiosk or by calling 613-533-9255 during our hours of operation. We are open every night from dusk till 2am, Sunday to Wednesday, or till 3am from Thursday to Saturday. During exam season, we are open until 4am. Last year, we completed over 10,000 walks, walking the equivalent distance of crossing the width of Canada and back. So whether you're feeling unsafe, want someone to walk with after a night at the library, or feel more comfortable walking downtown with someone, call Walk Home. If you have any questions about the service, please feel free to contact us by calling 613-533-9255 or by emailing walkhome at ams.queensview.ca. And you are listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. We are located in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce, here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. We do stream live online as well at www.cfrc.ca. And I don't have nearly as much time as I thought I would to share anything in this hour, but I do want to thank you for tuning in to the first hour today. I'll get to the uh, events and calls for submissions. I'm pretty sure I have a bit more time at the end of the second hour. Uh, But I did want to thank you again for tuning in. Hope you can stay tuned to the second hour today. We will be, uh, I will be airing some... Uh, open mic readings uh, all the way back from January. I guess it's not that far back, but seems like it. <laughs> and uh, I started airing some of those last week, so we'll get into that, air some more of those. I would like to uh, give you a heads up as well uh, that uh, I guess just a brief mention that both hours of Finding a Voice each week are uploaded to my blog space for it shortly after I get home. Uh, I will add that blog space is finding a voice on cfrcfm.wordpress.com. They will remain there for four years, and uh, I will do that as soon as I get home. Again, thank you for tuning in to the first hour today. I do uh, still have about a minute, but I know in about 20 seconds there is a public service announcement uh, that is going to pop into the screen here. And I will air that. That will take us right up to the top of the uh, second hour today. So we will listen to that, uh, and uh, I'll be back with you then on the other side. And here it is. 
And it is exactly 5 o'clock, I guess maybe a couple seconds after, but uh, welcome back into this second hour of today's show. And uh, you are listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. We are located again in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce, here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. We do stream live online as well at www.cfrc.ca. And coming up uh, this hour uh, with more uh, from uh, the January 8th and the Journey Continues Open Mic event. Uh, Again, I had begun that last week. Uh, You'll hear readings by Devin G.A., Bob McKenzie, Will Hildebrandt, Ken Chin, Jill Glatt, and Graham, Grace Dixon, Jason Haru, and Quentin Kerr. Uh, This first, though, again, always uh, the usual hourly announcement. Uh, Occasionally some poetry, spoken word, or music played on this show may contain strong language, but it's all played in its entirety with content unedited to honor the creative integrity of both the author and the piece. And uh, I'm quite certain, let's not say that. I might have another glitch that kind of threw my last hour off a little bit. Uh, Let's... uh, say that I'm pretty sure I'll have time to share uh, uh, some calls for submissions and those I definitely want to get to because they're about to expire and uh, also a few upcoming events so tell you what uh, let's just go ahead and jump back into now uh, from last week that January 8th and the journey continues uh, monthly open mic reading event up first in it here that you'll hear this afternoon is uh, Devin G.A. And up next we have Devin. Let's bring him up. Welcome to Ego Island. Came down harder than my foot on the thumbtack. Sitting down, the only time I am ever humble. Age could be a meaningless number. If my maturity was a number, it would reach three or four. My ego skyscraper, developed over time, makes me stand up. Now is my time to control everything and suppress others to please me. I'm stiff, hearted and flexible arrogant and pitiful. My ego is bigger than yours, about five foot eight. Your foot could have been in my mouth, but my head is too far up my ass. Every dump is a surgical operation. Psychological mythos runs through my head, forcing my mouth off. Likes to tame everything. Out of my ass, more diligently than ever, I speak. My words create your impotence, but I bitch about your comments. Find out where you live. Throw rocks to get your attention to write you sit while I'm gasoline on your driveway. Light it with a match you had on a dating site. Use a few more matches since I didn't write it in cursive. Ready to bust from the egos of me and my friends. A question verbiage I only used to tip I I only used to tie up loose ends. Using free time like I got the bends. I take my mask off to show you how dope we think we are, but you only hit the blunt verbally. This is my past, future, and present under the Christmas tree to no one but me. 
You used to care what people think. Now, you only care if people stink. You move to the other side of the bus to avoid the smell. Me, in a nutshell, because I'm stupidly nuts. These nuts you may ball with as you go knee-deep in another metaphor. My parents know about this since I was aborted, but only my backbone died. Second one, that bad habit or dad habit. A sound or shade of spit. Precious phlegm rising with discord. Sparse reflection in a pool. Summing in alcohol once more. Swim as fast as my vision, sparking across the room in a fall. A bra would be lost if it fell off, and flip-flops no longer exist. Athlete's foot is a given and SCDs swing by to say hello. In the stupor, I wave back with no will of my own. Hard to sing in the burning essence. The fragrance is grass. The sound draws the quiet. The smell opens a window. Sound, dancing, inebriates. A burning essence seems to disappear. The ground floor entices most, and crowds reveal more than they hide. Fuck the crowds, he says as he tries to entice me. If only less bruises in my head, I would know better. If greed exists, it set me apart and calls me to feed. Reality might not strike hard enough until tomorrow. The smell of weed could explain the story likely, but my inner poet died with the liquor. This reality strikes too hard the next day, like it does with themes like this. Such is this life of mine. More foolish than anyone, anyone today may dine in the morning on the pill. Now I feel the tug of judgment of others in the drugstore once again. And this is the last one, shiny octopus. I hang around with matches on the mattress. I am the boss of you with the sofa. It smokes to be a mass. When the house is sealed and the fire is burning, combined with steam from the washing machine, this machine strokes my hat until its ears fall back. Even my cat's ears claws away at it to rip the ball. It always fixates, orchestrates reactions when it can't jump on me so far. I am the cat's meow only when I meow back at it. I try to tell it off in my own language, in my own language. It lingers, too high to run properly and take its sorry ass off my property. The rotten animal picks up on this almost fast enough and stops purring. Forgot to watch the news, but the TV is forgotten. Dumb pink butterflies screaming, we want the trunk. But if I give you the trunk, you gonna take it? Let's Devin, let's give him another hand. And you just heard uh, Devin G.A. from the January 8th and the Journey Continues open mic reading in that monthly series. Up next from it, here he is, Bob McKenzie. Up next, Bob McKenzie. Let's bring him up. That was sooner than I thought. 
so now I'm in worse frazzle than I was already today. I brought books, which I'm happy to sell to anyone. I need to go to Florida or somewhere and I need money. So if, see me at the table after if you want one, or two, or three. Um, tonight, well today I didn't get around to choosing poems until the last minute, so I decided to read poems of mine that have dogs in them. <coughs> and uh, fortunately, on the Francis Street Poetry Fence, they had printed on the board a poem that has dogs in it, so I thought I would read that one first because it's very good. It's by a poet named Alberto Rios, and it's called We Dogs of a Thursday Off. The wine of uncharted days, their unsteady stance against the working world, the intense intoxication of nothing to be done, a day off, the dance of the big-hearted dog in us, freed into a sudden green and immense field, off we go, more run than care, more dance, if a polka could be done not in a room, but straight, ahead into the beautiful distance, the booming sound of the phonograph weakening, but our legs getting stronger with their bounding practice, this day the feeling drunkenness, born of indecision, lack of focus, but everything forgiven. Today is a day exposed for what it is, a workday suddenly turned over on its back, hoping to be rubbed. Okay, now to things I wrote after that piece of wonderfulness. I love that poem. This is called Cerberus. Some people might know who Cerberus is. Um, he's the dog at the gates to wherever you go when you die. Um, Mad dog, bark at me with fire in your eyes. I am not yet one to your teeth, nor a bone come to supper. I know, eagerly you wait down the road, knowing full well I must pass there, set upon in the darkness. I come. Still the rain is filling both hands, water runs faster through fingers, doggedly bearing dry bone. Upstairs the dogs howl. The anger wails breathless words at her, fast as slam poetry or dark rap, beatboxing and pounding her soul. Her anger, anger echoes through the black rift, resounding across the space between widening cracks where once had been love. This raw call and response will not end, echoes across the void between them while the dogs howl a dark harmony. White dog. It's about snow, sort of. Behind the curtain of rain's mist, beaded with sunlit rainbow prisms, the snowdrift's surface quavers soft in rolling waves, slow becoming a white dog, flashing in and out of sight in the flying powder, ephemeral as he crawls. The white dog's brief glance seems surprised, as I am, to see another appear out of the dreamlike mist. As I turn away and fade back into the sun-beaded curtain, the white dog fades soft into snow. And the last, the doctor's dog. 
Who knew your dog talking laser-nosed computer on wheels would do me in? Cyber dogs, techno dogs, dog my every step as ordinary objects appear to be canine. I've gone to the dogs, hounded by this faux rover crossing time and space closing in. Now gone barking mad, must I see the doctor? Thank you. Bob McKenzie, let's give him another hand. And that was Bob McKenzie from the January 8th and the Journey Continues open mic reading in that monthly series, now held at the Elm Cafe. And up next from it, here is Will Hildebrandt. More poet, and then we're going to take a break. Let's bring up Will Hildebrandt. Can you all hear me? A major stepping stone in the intellectual discovery of a child is in their invention of the lie. Any lie will do, anyone they tell. They begin to understand that their reality is subjective, that depending on circumstance, on knowledge and consensus, that the world is transient. Of course, it is vital at this stage to inform the child of morality, a concept just as diversified as the lies we seek to protect ourselves from, from the foul augmented meaning. But cast aside the dark light of this discovery, and what you find is that man is the greatest storyteller of all time at least in our waking existence. When we have no proof of concept, we often look to these storytellers to make plain what is mysterious and unknown. Thus we have the myth, the fable, the theorem. We forge a sturdy carriage, cook a palatable feast from the known, the decreed, and the conferred. We ascribe meaning to the unknown. There is a common concept developed across ancient cultures, both East and West, echoed in the past and mirrored in the present. The Greeks had the fates. Together, the three of them were in charge of a person's life, and that life was tangible. It was equated to a string. The first would determine the quality of that person's string, how strong it was, how likely it was to intertwine with the other strings surrounding it, for better or worse. The second would determine the length of the string, in other words, the span of their lives. The third had a sour role. She would cut the string and end the life of they who lived by such a thread. The Chinese, on the other hand, pay homage to the lunar god. He is responsible for tying a red string to each person's pinky. That red string would often intertwine with those of the others who would share in your life, friends and colleagues, family and lovers. They would twist and turn, 
become knotted and clumpy. Oh, and, and best of all, at the other end of the line, you were joined to another soul. Your bond with them was unbreakable. Soulmate, the pinky swear. Scientists nowadays use string in theory to explain the attractive pull of objects seemingly disconnected. Instead of a loom of fate, they use the bitter black of space. Instead of God's will, they have the force of gravity. Even now, under the guise of logic and reason, we attempt to explain the phenomenon of the realm unknown. The common thread here is that though it may seem somewhat inexplicable, everything is connected to the gods, their fates, to the Chinese, their gods, to the scientists, their theories. To me, there has been a magnetism that is not so hard to explain, as though people are by nature attractive, and I am pulled inward in accordance to their strength, the strength of their force implied, or repulsed by their polarity. Will Hildebrandt, let's give him another hand. And you just heard uh, Will Hildebrandt uh, from the January 8th and the Journey Continues open mic reading in that monthly series. Up next in it, here is Ken Chin. This is the um, first part of a rather long poem. Uh, is it offensive? Well, anybody who knows me knows that I don't pull my punches when it comes to martial arts, so I'm not going to do it when it comes to poetry either. 21st century man. I am here to declare the new man, the 21st century man. As women have struggled to get this far, we as men must also struggle. Struggle against the past, against all ideas and definitions of what a man should be, how a man should act. We must redefine what a man is. Everything that we do has been learned. We learned it through school, through everyday interaction. We're indoctrinated by the media and our sources of entertainment. When silent movies first came out, women became girls to be protected and rescued. When the talkies were out and gangsters were in, guys talked tough and became mean. On the silver screen, when James Cagney shoved a grapefruit into a woman's face at a breakfast table, it was a signal that it was okay to mistreat women. Women were dames and broads, companions were the tough guy gangsters. They became cigarette girls and dancing showgirls. Slapping women around became acceptable. The war came. Women became inspiration for fighting men. Scrantily clad women in prone positions adorned the noses of many allied war homes. The pinup girls became popular in barracks. After the war in the 50s, women became perfect housewives and mothers. Her house was the model of perfection, like a TV commercial. When husbands came home, she looked like she stepped out of a beauty salon. Everything was leave it to beaver or father knows best. Then came Hugh Hefner. Women were reduced to less than girls. They became cute little rabbits. Sex toys for rich, powerful men. Rock and roll also became popular. In England, women were called birds. 
They were put in cages to dance. The age of the Gogo girl had arrived. Over here, they were called chicks. For a brief period, something phenomenal happened. Maybe it was the drugs taken. Maybe it was the fact that young men were sent over and, and died overseas for no good reason. Young people began to question everything. A major change in society began. The struggle for racial and sexual equality began. Some called for armed revolution. In fact, it was a cultural revolution. It was wrong to label women. They were not dames, broads, or chicks. They are people, individuals. For a while, it looked like real progress was made. Then it was over. Rap music, gangsters, the tough guy image returned. Women's became whole. One thing was common, violence, guns, and gangs. And it didn't matter if you were white wearing a suit and a fedora carrying a Tommy gun, or a person of color with an AK doing a drive-by. Misogyny was always rampant. Music became a medium to suppress women. Lately, women have been speaking out, taking bullshit no more. How should men feel if they realize they were brainwashed? It's okay to treat women like shit because tough guys like James Cagney or Humphrey Bogart did it. It's, called, it's okay to see women as sex objects because Hugh Hefner associated with a lifestyle of money and power. It's okay to see women as low-life sex machines because music made you associate with violence, power, and rebellion. Well, it's not okay to put anyone down when some asshole works on your most base of emotions, appealing to your testosterone and not your logic. This is the first 21st century. Guys, take your brains out of your pants and put it back in your head so you can use it. Thank you. That was Ken Chin. Let's give him a hand. And you just heard Ken Chin from the January 8th and the Journey Continues open mic reading in that monthly series. Up next in it, here is Jill Glatt. Up next, Jill Glatt. Let's bring her up. Saucers landed, hundreds of them, golden, silent, coming down from the sky like great snowflakes. And the people of Earth stood and stared as they descended, waiting, dry-mouthed, to find what waited inside for us, and none of us knowing if we would be here tomorrow. But you didn't notice it because that day, the day the saucers came, by some coincidence was the day that the graves gave up their dead and the zombies pushed up through soft earth or erupted, shambling and dull-eyed, unstoppable, came toward us, the living, and we screamed and ran. But you did not notice this because on the saucer day, which was zombie day, it was Ragnarok also. 
and the television screen showed us a ship built of dead men's nails, a serpent, a wolf, all bigger than the mind could hold, and the cameraman could not get far enough away, and then the gods came out, but you did not see them coming because on the, soft, on the saucer zombie battle in God's day, the floodgates broke, and each of us was engulfed by genies and sprites offering us wishes and wonders and eternities and charm and cleverness and true brave hearts and pots of gold while giants feed folk bummed across the land and killer bees. But you had no idea of any of this because that day, the saucer day, the zombie day, the Ragnarok and fairies day, the day the great winds came and snows and the cities turned to crystal, the day all plants died, plastics dissolved, the day the computers turned, the screens telling us, we would obey the day angels drunk and muddled stumbled from the bars and all the bells of London were sounded, the day animals spoke to us in Assyrian, the Yeti day, the fluttering capes and arrival of the time machine day. You didn't notice any of this because you were sitting in your room, not doing anything, not even reading, not really, just looking at your telephone, wondering if I was going to call. Pause is for Neil Gaiman, one of my heroes. I have many, but he's one. Uh, the next little set of poems I have, I've uh, read a couple of them before. Uh, Kate is a big fan, you'll like this. Um, this one is part of a, um, what eventually will be a zine of um, the first, I don't know, 13, I guess like 16 months that I moved to Kingston. It's a very transitional, very transformative period of my life. So they are, uh, labeled by the month. So one, relentlessly solitary, asphalt rivers and tributaries, heavens purging themselves of water I would not let myself produce. A month of rain, seeking, searching, waiting. Two, walking with the sun rise until the moon comes out. These nights are soft, and my world is ginkgo trees, sore feet, cerulean view. Three, obliviously, blissfully outstretched, tousled hair, drying, toasting, on shoulders and burning sand, exhausted from the sun, and relief that I was even asked to be here. Four, elsewhere. Five, dark canopy, sheltering, swallowing us, throwing acorns as far as we're able, beyond the bleachers, shoulders abreast, a hand's breadth. I could almost kiss you. I don't. Six. Tripping lightly, soft steps, soft glow, over rocks, sky, cheeks, yours and mine, waiting on the sun to rise, proud to be the only ones awake, alive. Thank you. Jill Glad, let's give her another hand. And you just heard Jill Glatt from the January 8th and the Journey Continues open mic reading in that monthly series held at the Elm Cafe. Let's do this, and I'll be right back. I mean, if there's a listener-supported radio station, you're, it means that people can get daily, every day, a different way of looking at the world, not just what the corporate media want you to see, but a different picture different understanding, a different picture, a different understanding. Not only can you hear it, but you can participate in it. 
you can add your own thoughts, you know, and you can learn something and so on. Well, that's the way, uh, well, that's the way, uh, well, that's the way uh, people become uh, human, you know. That's the way you become human participants in a, in a social and political system. Tune in to CFRC 101.9 FM every Saturday from 12 to 2 p.m. for a majestic mix of classic gems and new indie on Spice Machine. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, girl power, feminism, do you know what I mean? Oh, no. Four Directions Aboriginal Student Centre, located at 146 Berry Street, offers resources and services for Aboriginal students at Queen's University. Among its many services, the centre offers a Three Sisters Feast Weekly on Wednesdays from 5 to 7 p.m. at the centre, prepared by staff or a guest chef. The centre is open daily, Monday to Friday, and hosts events throughout the year. For more information, visit queensu.ca slash fdasc. Do you like to dance? Tune into The Hustle with DJ Bolt every Friday night between 11 p.m. and midnight. Where you'll hear all the newest dance, electronic, French touch, booty bass, ghetto, deep, and tech house remixes and more. Let The Hustle take you to midnight and beyond at 11 p.m. on 4 to the Floor Fridays. Only on CFRC 101.9 FM. And you are listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. Uh, we are located in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. We do stream live online as well at www.cfrc.ca. Let's go ahead and jump back into that January 8th uh, open mic reading in that uh, um and the journey continues, I should say. Open my greeting in that monthly series. Up next in it, here is Anne Graham. Up next, Anne Graham. Let's bring her up. Okay. So I, uh, I'm still fighting the muse that's not coming to see me. I think he's gone on his Christmas holidays. So I, I started this, uh, the new year for 2019. I wish I could find what's on my mind today. Christmas is gone and I'm moving on to say, this is why I write to shine a light ahead, to see where to go. I must really know the plan. I'll stop drifting, feel the fog lifting slowly. Be sure of the way to go every day, wholly. Living each moment, each year a moment for growth, each seed planted deep for my soul to keep, always. And, uh, yeah, this one's called Courage. Unfold your own myth, Rumi wrote this adage. So mine this month is that I have courage, I'll leave fear behind, with all my baggage. 
Boldly stepping out of my comfort zone, courage means bravery, integrity, to try something new, embrace the unknown. Success is not final, Churchill once wrote. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts, and I quote, that that doesn't kill us makes us stronger. I've proved this in my life, and I know it's true. So I'll take my chances and live a little longer. I'm going to read one from the past. Uh, this was when I first started writing, so I thought I'd go back to it. The cracking of certainty. I live in constant chaos, morphing into whoever would look to fit the situation more safely. I am never complete. Life consists of endless holes. Each time I dive into one of them, I sink subterranean deep besides a mountain of questions. What happened in these black holes of forgotten being? Who did I meet and was I even there? Is it possible to disintegrate, then pick up pieces that someone else has lost and think that they are your own? Will I ever meet these pieces again and recognize that they were once me? How can I integrate the fragments of others that now live within the cracking of certainty? I dream of children lost and crying, searching for someone to care, or oh, that cracking sound, the tearing of my soul, is the cracking of certainty. Roseanne Graham, let's give her another hand. And you just heard Anne Graham uh, from the January 8th and the Journey Continues open mic reading in that monthly series. Up next from it, here is Grace Dixon. Up next, Grace Dixon. Let's bring her up. like romantics like Sean, young and incomplete, like Neapolitan, but the kind my sister scooped all the chocolate from, or Dunkaroos in the bottom of your lunch bag, candy crush, sugar rush, spontaneous, passionate. The 90s sound like gritty amateur recordings on portable cassette players that hook on the belt loop of the denim jeans that have been through everything the crash and the ouch. When, when scrapes and their mosaics of loose gravel and dirt are embedded in your knees beside the battered bike that couldn't handle your speed. The 90s look like tie-dye and the shy guy at the mall with ambitious sneakers, polyester purple scrunchies that smell like birthday parties. I might enjoy now more I might enjoy them more now than I did then. And the 90s feel like romantics like Sean. 
shedding light on pastel-colored, modest mock-neck, VHS tape hearts, prone to unraveling, getting jammed with even the slightest of his Grace Dixon, let's give her another hand. And you just heard Grace Dixon from the January 8th and the Journey Continues open mic reading in that monthly series. Up next in it, here is Jason Heru. And the next poet coming up is too humble for to have asked me to introduce him this way, but I'm going to introduce him this way because he is Kingston's brand new poet laureate. Here is Jason Haru. very short poems. They don't have any titles, so uh, I'll just call it the first one the first poem. I walked outside. There was a world. Something about it reminded me of home. The wind was so happy to see me. It stood up like a dog on its hind legs and licked my face. I saw a butterfly with a human being tattooed on one of its wings. I saw a grown stone grow smaller and smaller until it was gone. And this is the second poem. In the street, human hearts the size of cars honk at other human hearts. Tangerines appear out of nowhere and then vanish, leaving their skin behind. The distant quiet grows quieter, more distant. It's here we are, listening to birds singing songs that begin in their bodies and end in ours. Thank you. Where's Jason Haru? Let's give him another hand. And you just heard Jason Haru uh, from the January 8th and the journey continues uh, open mic reading in that monthly series. Up next in it, here is Shannon Hope. I think I'm saying it right. Gendron. Up next, Shannon. Spring her up. and outside of the male gaze. And so this is sort of my own healing process through um, eroticism. So here we go. This one is called When Sadness Finds You. When sadness finds you, open to her. Let her ride you into the night that comes into dawn and interrupts the division between you and it. It, an impenetrable morning wind, an untamable still moon sky of her glide. 
When sadness enters you, clench your fists into her night sky dry and rotate slowly until the new day awakens on gray and those thighs wrapped around you are as thick as the grief you once bit. But couldn't chew, wouldn't chew, too soft to swallow, not wet enough to spit. So you close your eyes, count to three, and hope the neighbors don't hear grief scream your name again as you pull her into you. Because when sadness comes, she comes louder than the glide of her moon, louder than the dewy space between you and morning. So when sadness comes, you mask her cries with your gray moanings of your own rise and hopes the upstairs neighbors mistake your fall for pleasure because that's really how you know you've been found. And this next one is called um, Ribbon Peace. I think I broke a rib from crying Yahweh while writhing in her wild glory. I think our breath weighs more now that it presses up against me so often. Is it the weight of our breath together that broke the bone that Adam didn't have time to be shown? Breath too sacred to be spoken. But breath will shiver from my lips, dripping holiness, coming forward and becoming first before me again, the words of dead poets who tasted them from my lips before I did. I think it's broken, my rib, as the stiffening force of that heavy breath on chest love story was far too heavy to be rested on me any longer. Even though from its ribcage prison my heart beats faster knowing her breath as my lover. And so I think love broke my rib. And I think it's love that's pulling it out of me now, so slowly it's sensual. But it hurts, like half a wishbone cracked down the center, like half the part of me that was from you, half the part of you, rib. One letter difference from becoming rip. R-I-P, pieces resting in peace on top of me, pressing the breath out of me, gasping for power to breathe before and above me. Maybe it's that peace, may it rest well, that brings me this close to dying just to be reborn with the Holy Ghost of my right rib eating. Because it's that of you living in me that I drip free, that I let love pull out of me, slowly. It's a resurrection kind of death that takes your breath away so the ghost has more room to play in that playroom heart of Yahweh. So tell me, Rumi, how did you know I'd die on the word majesty? How did you predict I'd orgasm the word alive as I resurrected? How did you know I would be born again, sacred breath held in the absence of my last rites rib, that I would cry Yahweh three times holy, that I'd claw the back of her glory and union too divine to be spoken? But I, left broken, have been found alive, alive, alive. That was Shannon. Let's give her another hand. And you just heard Shannon Hope Gendron, I believe, from the January 8th. And the journey continues open mic reading in that monthly series. And up next in it, and will be the final poet you hear this afternoon, is Quentin Kerr. Up next, Quentin Kerr. Let's bring him up. Hi, uh, these two poems um, are around a common theme. So the first one is uh, Flight, version one. 
You can write whatever you want, he said, as long as you write the truth. But what if I write about dragons? Can I still write the truth if I write about dragons? Of course, he said, of course. You can still write about the woman who ran down North Street, high heels clutched in her left hand, the slap of her bare feet against the pavement, a lonely drumbeat in the autumn morning, the smallest mustache of sweat clinging to her upper lip. The dragons are coming, she'll say to you, so of course, jot that down. And maybe in her salt-stained eyes you'll see fire, swimming in the serpentine and silky oil of her iris, just before she faints. So write that down, too. And of course, you can write about the way the lazy winter light still catches those distant arching wings as the sun goes down over this weary Appalachia, stretching long purple shadows across stubbled fields. And sure, write about old man George, too, who stands near the memorial in Churchill Park, feeds the pigeons. Bring a tape recorder, and for a few fast beers, he'll show you the dragon tooth that hangs from a long black chain around his neck and tell you why he don't walk so good no more. He tends to ramble, of course, but by all means, write it down. But please, he said, please, don't forget that all that is alive consumes and all that consumes is expunged. And dragons, of course, are alive. So don't forget the boy who sleeps in some wrinkled tower in the suburbs of Camelot, who takes the go train each morning to the Royal Zoo and gets paid three coppers an hour to shovel dragon shit. And don't forget that in the early morning air, this boy feels himself grow colder, his fingers paper thin and nearly useless, his hair turns gray overnight, and sometimes he cannot remember where he came from or what exactly he is doing here. And one day, after the gates have closed, he will put aside his shovel and walk, unafraid, into the dragon's den. Here, I hope, he will find rest. So yes, he said, of course. Of course you can write about dragons. The second one uh, is Flight, version 2. The dust lies quiet, but from the street, shouting. Overhead, winged things are flying past. Shadows cast across the broken glass and the bone-white cracks that spill down 7th Avenue. Angels, he says, they must be angels. She licks her lips, tastes the biting wind, the salt. Somewhere below the overpass and the rumbling neon glow, a fire burns. She frowns and turns. Not angels, she says but still she is breathless. My God, he says, his voice like dry clay breaking, his arms extended, making an orchestra of the sky, eyebrows taking flight, and yes, a little grin, a small and sudden cry, angels, he says, surely they are angels. Today, he says, we bear witness to the, to the divine, and isn't it fine? Surely you can see his hand here, his mind here, isn't it grand? Isn't it clear redemption comes to our wasteland, he says, his smile steadfast. Redemption comes at last. Not angels, she says, but still she smiles. And beneath them, along the angry windy waste, streetcars cry out, wired beasts gasping, grinding, shrieking, twisting, lost and hurt and mired. But far above the city spired, the creatures drift, tender, slow, voiceless against the streets below. Angels, he says, angels. The man and the woman stay, stone still and watching, 
grew soft and weary gray, the creatures fly away. They move northward, veering west, drifting on the wind, and gently disappearing. And the distant sky aches in emptiness, the golden light now blunt and dim, redemption he murmurs coughing, his face once joyful is grim. She slips her hand in his and sighs, for this she has few words. Not angels, she says once more. I think they used to call them birds. Quentin Kerr, let's give him another hand. And you just heard Quentin Kier. I've got some sort of noise going on here. Looks like that took care of it. Uh, Quentin Kier from the January 8th and the Journey Continues open mic reading in that monthly series. And uh, was it the final poet of the after, uh, that you'll hear this afternoon? Because I did want to spend a few minutes here at least uh, going through some uh at least the events happening this coming week and uh, first the calls. But before I do that, I want to thank you for tuning in today and uh, have been listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. We are located in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce, here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. We do stream live online at www.cfrc.ca. And just a quick reminder that... uh, uh, each sh- hour of this show uh, is each week w- is uploaded to my blog space for it shortly after the show ends and I get home at finding a voice on cfrcfm.wordpress.com. It will remain there for four years. Okay, we've got some calls for submissions and these are very, very, their deadline is quickly approaching so that's why I wanted to get them on there. I, I believe the first one is uh, for, well, let's just do this. It's, uh, the deadline is tomorrow at midnight, March 9th. Uh, the Union Gallery call for submissions for short student videos of any genre or topic. Uh, it says, uh, please, please provide an MP4, YouTube, or Vimeo uh, link. Uh, full runtime must be less than 10 minutes, limit of two entries per submission. It does say collaborations are welcome. Uh, there are uh, the guidelines can be found at Union Gallery, all one word, dot dot ca. And uh, I believe, yeah, I believe uh, that will be the place you can get them. And then there's another one up uh, that does expire tomorrow at 6 p.m., actually. So March 9th, tomorrow, 6 p.m. Uh, it's, uh, the, and I'm just quoting here from their Facebook page, I believe it was. Uh, it says, Calling all storytellers, uh, we present to you Viva Voce Wonders, produced by Blue Canoe Productions. So Wonders is the theme uh, this time, and they are looking for storytelling uh, Uh, singing, dancing, poetry, creative performance. Uh, This is uh, Viva Voce, so I believe it is uh, 30 and under, but I'm not sure of that. So why don't you visit their website and find out. Uh, For more about uh, everything, uh, www.bluecanoetheatrical.com slash 
V-I-V-A-V-O-C-E. So there you go. And you heard him uh, just a few minutes ago, but uh, uh, our new uh, Kingston's new uh, poet laureate, uh, Jason Heru, is... uh, Taking uh, is looking for six emerging or practicing poets. You have to be at least 18 years or 14 years old or older who are interested in hour long one on one mentorship session in April. And uh, the dates, I believe, for that will be April 9th, April 12th, April 23rd at different uh, locations, again, Kingston Front Neck Library locations. Uh, I would suggest uh, that uh, the app, the deadline for this is coming up Monday, March 11th at 5 p.m., so that one is quickly approaching as well. If you have any interest in that, and again, looking for uh, emerging or practicing poets, again, over four, 14 or older, uh, who would like an hour-long one-on-one mentorship session, it's set up so you actually email your stuff or you can mail it Uh, there's another option if you don't have a computer uh, to him and then he will uh, pick one of those you together i guess Uh, we'll pick one of the uh, an hour during one of those three days Uh, best thing to do is uh, it says for more information uh, you contact Annie Hall. You can do that at 613-549-8888, extension 3528. But I'm guessing at this point nobody is there, or maybe or not, but you can always use the, uh, uh, she has her email address too. It's all lowercase, a hall, uh, all one word, at kfpl.ca. So check that out. And then there was one more call for uh, submissions. Uh, this deadline is March 13th uh, at midnight. Uh, it's for the Free Lit magazine. Uh, they're looking for poetry, prose, photography, or visual art. Uh, Free Lit is a bi-monthly journal. Each is theme-based. Uh, this issue's theme is law. So check out, uh, check it out. Check out the website at www.freelitmagazine.com. And uh, let me switch. I've only got about a minute. I don't even have that much left. There are events coming up this week. Uh, let's see if I can get at least one in here. Yeah, I'm just running out of time. I am sorry, but those calls for submissions I wanted to make sure and get. Uh, Check your normal sources for, uh, like, Novel Idea, uh, Union Gallery. I think those are where most of those events were going to be held. So uh, I want to, again, thank you for tuning in today. Do stay tuned to for two hours of East Coast music at uh, the top of the hour with uh, Rob Carnell in a show called Saltwater Musics. And I'm going to use a little... Music here to take me out of here. So here's Mazzy Star with Rhymes of an Hour. This podcast is produced in collaboration with CFRC.ca in Kingston, Ontario. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Infrastructure support for the CFRC podcast project is provided by the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science. For more information or to get involved in podcasting, visit podcasts.cfrc.ca.